Hey, welcome back to This One's a Doozy. I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. And we talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings-on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago. Mm. Mic drop. That's right. Boom. (laughs) Episode 53. Yes. Here we are. And the first time we're recording after an exclusive Patreon-only episode. Yeah, that was really fun. If you wanted to listen to episode 52 and a half. No, it's Patreon exclusive episode one. (laughs) Sure, that's where we talked about the bleeding house in Atlanta. Ooh, Yeah, that was crazy. So if you want to listen to that one, you have to go subscribe on Patreon and go find it. Otherwise, episode 53, here we are. Yes. You excited about this one? I am. I've been like really, really, really careful about keeping it a secret. Mm -hmm. But I'm like so excited to tell you this one because it's like, it feels like kind of a one in a million story. Okay. It's wow. sad. It's a huge bummer, but. Oh, well, good. I can't wait to be very sad in about an hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's honestly, it's what I do. It's what I do. That's it. Well, before you uh, make us sad, we need to ask the most important question of the night. What are you drinking? Well, do you want to tell them or should I? I, I think you should. So we're both drinking the same thing tonight. Mm-hmm. We've discovered the magic. We understand the hype. Of the strawberries and cream Dr. Pepper. That's right. It's so good. It's amazing. I want them to make it a full, like regular on the roster drink because it is so good. I sent you to the store earlier to get me a couple and you bought all that they have left. Yes. Not because there was a lot left, (laughs) but because there were so few that I was able to afford it. Yes, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, we looked in every single cooler and every single... Uh, side side cabinet. It's kind of a fun everything. mission for you and the kids. I bet they had fun, like almost like a scavenger hunt. I think they had less fun than I did about it, but it was definitely like interesting. <laughs> and we finally found the one cooler with uh, six of them in you there. Got all six. I'm so yes. proud of you. Yes. And I only found six because I actually had to move a handful of other sodas out of the way. Oh. So. Yeah. Wow, you did work. It was the only six in the entire store. Wow. Strawberries and cream, Dr. Pepper. So good. It is very good. And so we have six more. We have five more for anybody yeah. out there who <laughs> is looking to, you know, spend a pretty penny on Yeah, a very remember rare when exclusive. people did that with like <laughs> Clorox wipes at the beginning of COVID? Where people yeah. would like go to the store and buy up all the Clorox wipes and then sell each container for like forty dollars. Yeah, but this is that different. Was terrible. This is different because this I can't isn't lump life myself in. It, uh, but it might be for somebody. <laughs> we cannot lump ourselves in with the people who extorted people for Clorox wipes. Okay, I might save one to do with that. Just just in case. Just in case. Or if it becomes collectible. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's okay. I can save respect one. that. Make a million dollars off of one strawberries and cream Dr. Pepper. But is it worth it? Uh, uh, probably not. But this is a moral question. <laughs> a little well, we could upgrade all again. of our podcast stuff. <laughs> it's true. We could get better microphones. <laughs> Everything would sound so much cleaner and better. Mm-hmm. Anyway, now we're going down a rabbit trail. Yes, we are. But that's what we're having to drink. Strawberries and cream Dr. Pepper. Worth it. The next most important question of the night what is your feel-good fact for us before you depress us with the rest of your story? Okay. What do you got? 
So cats that were brought onto ships to catch mice had their own passports, complete with a photo and a paw print signature, and their job description was listed as expert mouser. Nice. Yes. <laughs> expert mouser. It's very funny. I, I saw a photo of a cat's passport. <laughs> it was like formally issued, all mm-hmm. of that. And the cat looks so serious. Oh, of course. It's got the best expression on its face where it's like, he is an expert He's mouser. I have zero doubt in my mind that this this is a cat who knows what to yeah. do. Yeah. Worked hard for his food. Mm-hmm. That's good. And for his job. And for his job. Yeah. Really, it's really them. for the respect. Well, I mean, in the food, for sure. Mm. Not just the mice, but maybe that's probably... not a feel good fact. Maybe they were exploiting the cat. <laughs> exploited. Well, I mean, they were on a boat. Are there so... cat labor laws? No. Well, maybe there should be. Just saying. <laughs> well, you also have another uh, special update. Yes. Yes. Okay. So we're going to announce the organization that we'll be donating to for the month of February. So Patreon users have been voting over the last few weeks, and they decided that we will be giving to Holly's House. Yay. The organization that we talked about on episode 50 that was started by the sole survivor of the railroad killer, Holly Dunn Pendleton. So here's the mission statement for Holly's House. Holly's House is a non-residential child and adult victim advocacy center. Our mission is to empower victims of intimate crime and abuse by providing support, promoting justice, and preventing violence. Our vision is to be a leader in preventing intimate crime and supporting victims and their families while bringing awareness to the community. So we are absolutely thrilled to give to Holly's House. And so thank you guys over on Patreon and for all of our listeners Mm -hmm. for helping us make that happen. And we will be announcing the organization for, or the organizations to choose between Mm -hmm. for March over on Patreon next week. And so if you want to take part in that poll, head on over to Patreon Mm -hmm. and we'll give you all the details for that at the end of the show. Awesome. That's really exciting. Yes. Wow. All right. Well, my love, what story do you have for us today? A small disclaimer out front. Bear with me. I'm like kind of losing my voice a little bit. Tis the season. So be be nice to me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So we've got another true crime story this week. In 2005, two people met and found romance on an online chat room built into a gaming site. These two had never met in person, but had grown closer and more intimate in their online relationship, sending each other love notes and sexy photos and dreaming up a future together. But little did either of them know that things were not truly what they seemed to be. And this steamy little love affair would soon bloom into scandal, a love triangle, and eventually things would escalate to murder. Oh. This is the story of Marine Sniper and Tall Hot Blonde and their sordid online affair. Okay. Hang on, Kev. This one's a doozy. All right. So in the spring of 2005, 46-year-old Thomas Montgomery did what many of us do. He was using the internet as an escape from the humdrum of daily life. Mm Mm-hmm. He frequented a website called Pogo, which was a gaming site that had a bunch of arcade games and a chat feature that could connect you with other users from all over the world. Hmm. Thomas would log on after his long days at work at the company Dynabraid, which was a manufacturing company in Clarence, New York, where he worked as a machinist. Thomas was good at his job, but it wasn't really his passion. But it did pay really well, and he really loved his family and decided that changing careers would kind of just be an unnecessary Mm. complication for them financially. Sure. So he decided to stick it out. He and his wife of 17 years, Cindy, had also welcomed two daughters together, and Thomas had also volunteered as a Sunday school teacher at his local church. Hmm. 
He was well-liked at work and in his neighborhood and was in a great place in his recovery from alcoholism. So all in all, Hmm. just a totally normal guy. Yeah. Unfortunately, this was kind of a tough season for Thomas. He and his wife had been having some marital problems. He had been struggling with impotence, and though his wife, Cindy, uh, was like super sweet and kind and patient about it, his inability to perform sexually was really taking a toll on his confidence Mm. and kind of like on the overall state of the marriage. Yeah. Kind of felt like a looming cloud that even though she was sweet about it, it really was such a hit to like his confidence and his ego that he couldn't- His own pride. Soldier through it. Yeah. So on top of that, his now teenage daughters were growing into their independence and away from the little kids who needed him all the time. When they were little, he was vice president of the daughter's swim club and was super present and fun with them, but life was changing. Mm -hmm. It was no longer like the carefree time of old, but instead it was stressful and honestly painful for Thomas at this time, Wow, which I can relate to like being in a different life stage with children. Mm-hmm. I think that that is hitting me with one of our kids, with our oldest Yeah, now where it's yeah. like, oh my gosh, you're not little. Right. When did you become right. not little? Like, when did you not need me yeah, right. the same way anymore? It definitely hits you. Uh-huh. And so with the other stressors, I can understand why he was feeling like a little escapist. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, and it all comes back around to like your, your own role changes mm-hmm. when you're, your kids are growing up. Mm -hmm. And And if you've like settled into a role, then being feeling like you're suddenly yanked out of it is, Mm -hmm. can be very jarring. Yeah. Wow. So I can empathize with that. Yeah. In May of 2005, while he's just like hanging out, playing games on Pogo, a chat popped up from a user by the name of tall, hot blonde. She told him hi and informed him that he was on the children's version of the site. Thomas hadn't realized this when he logged on. And so he kind of panicked Because he was worried that someone was going to think that he was, like, being creepy Mm -hmm. or that they would report him and then he'd, like, lose his account. Sure. So he decided to lie. He told Tall Hot Blonde that he was only 18 and just kind of played it off, thinking that it was harmless. Mm -hmm. People lie online all the time. So they went ahead and started talking in a private chat. Oh, boy. She told Thomas that her name was Jessie and that she was an 18-year-old senior in high school from West Virginia. She was tall and athletic, excelling in softball, and she was very pretty. Jesse sent him some photos of herself. Hmm. They weren't nude photos, but they were definitely provocative, and Thomas was instantly smitten by the beautiful blonde girl on the screen. Hmm. So again, Thomas decided to double down on his lie. Oh, no, He told her that he was an 18-year-old Marine named Tommy. This was pretty easy for him to lie about because he actually had been a Marine in his younger years. He never saw any combat during that time and was discharged after like five or six years, but he didn't have to disclose that to this stranger on the internet. Right, right. But he did have a photo of himself in his military uniform from almost three decades earlier, and he sent it over to Jesse in order to secure his lie. In Thomas's mind, this was really like, this is harmless. This is a victimless action. This was me. And he didn't see the potential Mm. for it to become a slippery slope. He had no intention of meeting this girl in person and figured that, once again, people lie on the internet all the time. And so it felt kind of like an added layer of escape from his daily struggles. Along with an old photo of himself and a fake name, Thomas created a whole fake persona. Where Thomas was a middle-aged husband and father struggling with feelings of being burnt out and insecure— 
Tommy was a romantic who had been unlucky in love and had struggles with suicidal thinking, a struggle he developed after losing his mother as a child. Where Thomas had a short-lived career as Marine, Tommy was just now entering in and was pushing through boot camp. Hmm. Thomas's alter ego was built on lies and false stories that he seemed to pull out of a hat. Quickly, the two became infatuated with each other. Late at night, Thomas would sneak out of his bedroom and Tommy would call Jesse or chat with her online. He'd only talk with her for short snippets of time when he would do that in the middle of the night at first mm-hmm. and he because he was claiming that he was off duty. Mm, sure. Okay. So, yeah. 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 So man, this is already like very concerning. Mm-hmm. I mean, what you, what year did you say this was in? 2005. Okay. So this is still kind of early in the internet danger mm-hmm. era. Like people are still kind of figuring out how to use the internet in this way and mm-hmm. don't give out your information and that kind of stuff. Right. But man, this is like very dangerous territory Mm -hmm. to be treading into so right yeah it totally is and jesse really was just eating up everything he said fully believing that he was in fact the 18 year old marine that she'd seen in the photo yeah wow being from a small town in west virginia jesse had big dreams for herself she dreamed of getting out of her small town and living a life of adventure with her marine that she was quickly falling in love with oh boy oh no She confessed strong feelings for Tommy, and the two would begin to have sexual conversations via private chat on Pogo and sometimes even over the phone. Oh, Thomas, no. Something that neither of them had ever done before, but especially not under these circumstances. So over the phone, is this over text or is this over like they're calling each other? They're calling each other on the phone. (sighs) Extremely inappropriate. Wow. Also a 50-year-old man. He's near in 50, and she, some sources said that she was 17 when they first connected. But most of them said she was 18. Okay. When they first connected. Either way, either not an adult or a brand new baby adult. Yeah. Still learning what consent is and still learning all of these things that some of us who are 30 are still learning, you know? And so he's grooming her, really. He's grooming her to fulfill a fantasy. And plain and simple. And there's just, yeah, yeah. Just, just keep going because I'm okay. very, uh, I'm stressed already. Yeah, it's very stressful. So at one point, Tommy accused Jesse of flirting with other men on Pogo and believed that she was sending pictures of herself to other men. What? She insisted that she hadn't. And to prove herself, she sent him gifts. Uh, she sent him a necklace that was like a key to my heart with the initials T and J, as well as lingerie of hers. And so Thomas leaned back in, claiming that Jesse's care for Tommy was the only thing truly keeping him alive and giving his life meaning. Oh, boy. They began to plan out their future together, a future that Thomas Montgomery had no intentions of following through on. But still, this fantasy that he'd created for himself was the escapist paradise. Oh, my gosh. A beautiful young blonde girl who was head over heels with him that sang his praises and counted down the days until she could finally see him in person. I hate this so much. Mm -hmm. I hate this. I, okay. I will recall a conversation I had with some friends years ago. Hmm. They were just talking about um, different sorts of environments they put themselves in to make bad decisions. Mm. And the one question that they pose Mm. that is healthy to bring up is to ask the question, and then what? 
And Thomas Montgomery needed someone in his life to ask him that question so that he could take a hot second and consider maybe he is not going to be able to keep this up for very long. Right. Like, I'm already seeing that this is going to be just an absolute train wreck. And I don't even know what happens. Oh, yeah. I I just know this is going to be a train wreck because how could it not with this start of a story? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, keep going. I'm listening. Quick sidebar. If if I say Thomas, I'm talking about Thomas as he is. If Uh I say Tommy, it's the alter ego. Yeah, yeah. So just to admit, like, so I'm like super clear on that. Okay, cool. So every time they'd almost secure a date to meet in person, Thomas would flip the script, saying that Tommy had just wrapped up boot camp and was awaiting orders to his new military base. And then things would settle down and boom, Tommy was deployed to Iraq. And then things would settle down and boom, Tommy was deep in enemy territory fighting the bad guys one at a time so he could finally come home and meet tall, hot, blonde for real. Wow. All over Pogo. All over Pogo. (laughs) Just, oh, Thomas. So beyond escaping from his real life, Thomas was also using this fantasy to live a life that he never got to. Mm-hmm. During his time in the Marines, he had had some like specific training, like weapons training and stuff. But like I said, he'd never seen any combat. Yeah. And he was quickly discharged, I think, due to his struggles with alcoholism. Mm. And so for him, every lie that he told to Jesse felt kind of like another opportunity for him to live out his dreams that never came true in his mm-hmm. younger years. He wasn't just escaping his dreary life that didn't turn out as he hoped it would. He was fully immersing himself in all of like the what if scenarios that he knew he would never have the chance to experience for real. Wow. He got to be this like big, strong hero. Yeah. And like, that's how Jesse perceived him. At some point, Thomas started to realize that Jesse was actually very serious about him. And he realized that he needed to cut off ties, but he didn't want to ghost her. Mm. And he didn't want to do it in a way that outed him and his fake persona. So he created another alter ego, Tommy's dad. During his missions, in scare quotes, Mm -hmm. overseas, Jesse would mostly maintain conversations with Tommy's dad since Tommy was out saving America. Jesse Mm. would tell Tommy's dad that she really liked his son and she wanted to be with him and that she could see herself being with him for real, like, and forever, all of that kind of stuff. So he also told Jesse to send all of the packages that she wanted to give to Tommy to Thomas's home address, saying that it was Tommy's dad's address and that his dad would mail it to Iraq for her. Oh, boy. So it's like very layered. It's it's getting more elaborate yes. as it's going. Instead of being like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? He's yeah. He is holding on so tightly mm-hmm. to this fantasy that he's built mm-hmm. that he's adding as many layers as he can to keep it going. Oh, boy. And it's so interesting watching him talk about it because it's like, on one hand, he does demonstrate self-awareness of like, I knew that this was wrong and that I shouldn't have been doing it, but it's like, I couldn't stop. Yeah. Well, I'm, I am here for the story in, in the sense that like, I know it's going to fall apart mm-hmm. and there's a, it's just sad. And I think there's the unwillingness to let it go, the unwillingness to even like kill himself off in combat. Right. Like any of that. Instead, he has to use his real home address, Mm -hmm. which 
that is just a terrible idea. Right. You think that that girl isn't going to just show up to his house someday right. if there was something that like was really serious? Mm-hmm. She would. And mm-hmm. you know what would happen? There would be no Tommy. It would right. be very obvious what the deal is. So, well, and I think there's also something to say there too about when you have a fantasy, and I am not a psychologist, and mm-hmm. I do not claim to be, and I am not armchair diagnosing anyone. Sure, sure. Just as a disclaimer, but there's got to be something very confusing mentally mm-hmm. when you have a fantasy and you're blending it with reality. Yes. When you have a fantasy, especially this elaborate, yes. where like you have a second, like an alter ego, second personality. Well, he's using his his cell phone. Mm-hmm. He's, he's not just doing it on Pogo anymore. Mm-hmm. This is a whole thing that there's there's actual tangible gifts coming in. And, well, and he also told, I don't think that I wrote this down, but he told Jesse that his dad was Tom Sr., Thomas Montgomery oh. Sr. And oh. so he said, just make it out to Thomas Montgomery. Mm-hmm. And so Cindy intercepts a package that says Thomas Montgomery on it, and she's not going to think anything of it. Right. And so really that was like a, that was a, it feels like a well thought through additional yeah. lie that like, even though the worlds are blending a little bit, he's still doing it in a way that can save face with his wife. If she yeah. was to ever become involved with Ugh. it, very, very, very unsettling that somebody would have the capacity to yeah. do that. Or like, there's like a certain level of boldness. And I don't say that as a compliment. Right. There's like a certain level of boldness to that move also. Yeah. All right. Keep on going. Keep telling us a story. This is very, mm-hmm. very aggravating already. <laughs> yeah. So all of this continued for a while, but as the guilt peeked its head out from time to time, Thomas would have a brief moment of clarity. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my gosh, what am I even doing? When this would happen, he decided to switch gears and have Tommy's dad tell Jesse that he didn't approve of their relationship because he'd heard that Jesse had been flirting with other men online and that she needed to stop messaging his son, thinking that this might end the online rendezvous. Hmm. But it didn't. And so he kept up the ruse. (sighs) One of the weirder things about this particular detail is that Thomas would log on and play the role of Tommy's disapproving father but then Tommy would log on when he was off duty and jump right back into being all lovey-dovey. So like no self-control yeah, at all. There are just so many moments in this story where Thomas had every opportunity to walk away from this whole thing, but like he just could not make himself do it. Hmm. At this yeah. point, he's 46 years old and Thomas's affair had been going on for six months. Yeah, Things in his real life aren't getting any better. And so this whole ordeal had become almost an addiction to him. They'd chat almost constantly, and it seemed as though they could never get enough of each other. There was like, he would say that he would stay up until like five or six in the morning chatting with her at this point, and he had to leave for work at seven. Oh, wow. So he'd like chat with her until he had to go to work, and then go to work all day and come back and chat with her again. I mean, it was like constant, and that cannot... Like, lack of sleep is a huge deal on, like, your mental and physical health. Yeah. And so that can't be helping things. It's just a mess. Yeah. So Thomas would later describe this season of his life as being equally as addictive and all-consuming to him as alcohol was. And he felt like he could never get enough of his fantasy. Mm. He'd literally go through almost physical withdrawals if he would go too long without talking to Jesse. Like, he'd get, like, extremely short-fused and he would snap at his wife and things like that. 
Oh man. Like it was affecting him physically. Yeah. Well, you, 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 you use the word already affair. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's, there's something, uh, biological, physical, chemical, mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. those things that come along with affairs just in general. Right. Cause you're and, getting that dopamine hit. Yeah, exactly. And that's, what this is mm-hmm. at this point. Like yeah. this isn't just an innocent victimless thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Not that it really ever was, but right. it, you, you, he couldn't even make that argument at this point. It's not just making something up on Pogo with somebody else. Right. You know, and he would fully admit that he knew it was wrong, but he couldn't stop himself. Yeah. And maybe also makes a connection too of the addictiveness of yeah, dopamine hits, but also maybe just addictive personalities mm-hmm. and these sorts of affairs. Mm-hmm. It's more than just uh, lacking in your own romantic or sexual life. It's mm-hmm. something actually a whole lot deeper. Even. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So by Christmas of 2005, they'd taken things to the next level. And you're going to hate this. Tommy proposed to Jesse. Oh, my gosh. She said Thomas. yes. And they started making plans. They have never met in person, mm-hmm. which okay, now my own brain is short fusing <laughs> because <laughs> of course they've never met in person because Tommy's fictional, <laughs> so they couldn't. Yeah, but I, like, I know. <laughs> like also, uh, uh, <laughs> okay, just Do you keep want me going. To just, yeah, okay. Just keep going because I can't even like articulate a thought because there's so many crossing wires right now mm-hmm. of Thomas what what are you doing? Jesse, what are you doing? She's young. Tommy, who doesn't exist, what are you doing? Tommy, get back in Tommy, line. Tommy, get back in line. <laughs> what? The, obviously, the Marines aren't pushing you hard enough. Right. What is going on here? Right. <laughs> There's so much. <laughs> so Jesse continued to cheer Tommy on and to worry about his safety, but told him that she couldn't wait to finally get to be Jessica Blair Montgomery. And oh. it was only now that Thomas realized that he was taking things Way, 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 way too far. Way too far. So he decided that he needed to kill off Tommy so he could cut ties with Jesse and set them both free from this whole thing. So he tried to do that, but it didn't work out. No. (laughs) I am summarizing hundreds and hundreds of pages worth of chats, just as an FYI. Honestly, it was almost like he was like personally too far gone and the fantasy had fully blended into into reality in his mind. Yeah. On January 2nd, 2006, Thomas wrote himself a letter on a notepad at work. It read, quote, On January 2nd, 2006, Tom Montgomery ceases to exist and is replaced by an 18-year-old battle-scarred Marine. He has money in the bank, $2.5 million, and a 9-inch penis. He's handsome like a red-headed Harrison Ford. <laughs> oh. He is moving to West Virginia to be with the love of his life. I wish I would know the exact time I would change to new Tom to prepare for it, end quote. No, So I feel like this is the clear marker where things move past being like sad and creepy and still wrong, but like from that into straight up dangerous and troubling territory. Like Thomas fully believed he was going to actually transform into his alter ego somehow which is really sad. So at work, Thomas would brag about his online love affair and told some of his coworkers that he was planning on leaving his wife so that he could be with his new woman in West Virginia and that he was dead set on making it a reality. 
So they didn't know that he was pretending to be an 18-year-old, but right. they some of them did know he was having an affair. Boy, that's... I, I'm also uh, feeling like it's pretty obvious to his wife at this point that something else is going on. Sort of. Okay. Yes. She's suspicious. Yeah, ex- that's what I mean. Not that she necessarily knows any specifics. Sure. But, like, at this point, you've got to have suspicions. You've... You know, amazing timing that that's now. Oh, okay. Now that you bring that up, please. In February 2006, things would finally begin to unravel. So it was a daily thing for Thomas to log on to Pogo and chat with Jesse under the guise of playing games. Mm -hmm. Cindy had made it a routine to watch TV while she believed that Thomas was playing games. From time to time, she'd like walk over and see how his game was doing, would attempt to connect with him. And Thomas would just like quickly close the chat whenever she would come over so that she wouldn't figure out what he was doing. Mm-hmm. She thought that he was like a little bit obsessive with his game. Yeah. But like Cindy was so sweet. She would literally sit down on a chair next to him and like watch him play blackjack in Texas Hold'em and like, yeah, good job. Like chair him on. She was trying oh. so, so hard. Yeah, Cindy did not deserve any of this. So this actually worked for a pretty long stretch of time, but Cindy was suspicious the whole time. Mm-hmm. Beyond their struggles with connecting due to Thomas's impotence, Cindy was a smart lady and she could feel like she could almost like intuit that something more was going on, yeah. but she didn't have any way to confirm it. Sure, sure. Until one day when she stumbled upon one of the packages that Jesse had sent to Thomas, complete with the lingerie and other romantic mementos. Oh. So some sources that I used said that Cindy just happened upon the box of things that Jesse had sent to Thomas. But other sources said that one of their teenage daughters was using Thomas's computer. And mm-hmm. while she was online, Tommy received a message from Tall Hot Blonde and the daughter clicked on the message and found like the mm. whole slew okay. of super inappropriate, like back and forth between uh, them. Yeah. And then the daughter told the mom what she found, which led Cindy to go looking for okay. confirmation okay. of an affair. And then she found the box. Yeah. Either way, she found the box. She found the box and she is aware that something is obviously going on. Yes. Yeah. At this point, all that Cindy is certain of is that her husband is having an affair. Yeah. It wasn't until she went through all of the conversations that she saw how young Jesse was and that Thomas had been lying to her about who he really was. Later on, she wrote a note to Thomas saying, quote, what I cannot believe is that you are living out some bizarre fantasy as father and son. If you want to separate, we can, but to continue to lie to me and the kids while she is sending your son gifts in the mail is not acceptable. Mm. So I can't even imagine how heartbroken and disgusted yeah. that Cindy had to have felt. Like it's one thing to get cheated on. Like that is a terrible enough feeling, but under circumstances like this, like, I, I can't even understand how awful that must have been. Yeah. Like, you're living a fantasy. You're living essentially a double life. Yeah. Right under my nose with your kids sleeping in right. the room next to us and me trying right. so hard to connect with you. Right. Well, and uh, his daughters are far closer in age. I know. To, they were 12 and 14. Yeah. Like, which isn't 18, mm-hmm. but it's way closer than 47 is to 18. Mm-hmm. And and we've talked uh, about age gaps before where it's like between two consenting adults, like whatever. 
but she's so on the line and it's under yeah. so much false yeah. pretense and it's so groomy yeah. that this is just completely not cool in any way that you spit it. Yeah. So oh, Cindy's next move is honestly the best possible way that she could have handled herself. Using the return address on the packages that Jesse had sent, Cindy wrote a note to Jesse, outing her husband's bizarre actions over the last almost year. And she included a recent photo of Thomas, Cindy, and their two daughters. Oh, boy. So here's a snippet from the letter. Quote, okay. Jesse, enclosed you will find a picture of my family. Let me introduce you to these people. The man in the center is Tom, my husband. There is no Tommy. He is taking advantage of you. You need to be much more cautious with your safety. Mm. You will only be hurt by a man who has mastered the art of manipulation and lies. Do not trust words on a computer. Cindy Montgomery. Wow. Hats off. Yeah. Like, she didn't make it the girl's fault. She didn't. Yeah. yeah. She knew She knew who was at fault. Yeah. And she knew that this poor girl had been tricked. Oh. Wow. So I feel like her writing this letter and sending the picture and like the words that she chose to use were 100% perfect in this scenario. Yeah, yeah. that's, wow. She really could have freaked out on the girl, but she chose not to. Yeah. And she did this girl a massive favor by telling her the truth. Mm -hmm. Like you're being lied to by a middle-aged man who's a husband and a father. Right. He's lying to you. He's manipulating you. Yeah. And you're being taken advantage of. Yeah. And also she gave her like a little safety, <laughs> like a little <laughs> yeah, exactly. safety moment. Hey, the internet is not a place for this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I just really respect Cindy. Yeah. After the initial confrontation between Cindy and Thomas, she decided that she wanted to work on things with him. She told wow. him that she would be willing to work through this whole thing if he would be open and honest with her, hmm. which he did not deserve. But yeah. I think she's just a really special lady who didn't yeah, want to. that's really kind. She wow. didn't want her family to blow up, even though all of this was like so out of her hands. She wanted to do what she could to yeah. keep them together, which is also heartbreaking. Yeah. I just feel so bad for her. Well, like you've said before, she's the one who's pursuing like wanting mm -hmm. to connect with him. I know. Regardless of anything else going on. He doesn't deserve Cindy at all. Yeah. Wow. Meanwhile, Jesse was in total shock to learn that this person who she genuinely believed was an 18-year-old Marine that she wanted to have a future with was just some creepy dude with an alter ego. Mm, she yeah. immediately cut things off. Wow. Initially, Thomas said he was relieved once the truth came out. That his daily stresses of worrying about taking this thing too far, as well as the guilt of betraying his family, was finally off his shoulders once it was out there. Mm -hmm. Which I can get why he'd say that, but I'd just like to point out that from the like very beginning of this story, everything was always about Thomas. Yeah. And what he wanted, and what he thought he needed, and nobody else. And he literally just like uses everyone around him for his own gratification. Yeah. Like, I love that he, uh, sarcastically, love <laughs> that he blew up his family and he feels relieved that it can be off his chest. Not, I feel so heartbroken that I hurt you the way that I did. Yeah. I feel so terrible yeah. that my actions have made this huge problem in our family. Like, no, it's just, oh, okay, now I don't have to feel bad about that anymore. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I, I'm maybe I'm thinking too hard about it, but I'm just very mad at Thomas. I'm I'm curious how complicated those emotions were for him. Sure. Because I think it can go both ways. There's like a relief. I mean, it's true of anything. Like I remember being a child and like hiding something from my mom, getting mm -hmm. caught and being like, okay, 
that this sucks but also now it's out like, there like i'm uh, yeah i'm not having to like sneak around with it anymore i feel like that's different than grooming a child online well, like online <laughs> yes <laughs> after creating yes. a fake alter ego there's while your wife sleeps next to you in bed i think what's concerning <laughs> to me is there probably won't be any legal uh deals with this not yet well Okay. Okay. <laughs> Spoiler. I think there should be, but uh Fear sounds not. like there might still be. I guess you Fear. did say earlier that they were saying she might have been 17 when this whole thing started. So that's also an issue. But okay, keep going. Yeah. Fear not. So despite his relief, he was not yet done with the fantasy. <sighs> What's he doing? So let's put a pin in that so I can introduce the next super important person in the story. Okay. That is Brian Barrett. Brian Barrett was 22 years old at the time of today's story. He was a co-worker with Thomas at Dynabraid, who worked part-time as a machinist while he was earning his degree in teaching at Buffalo State College. Hmm. Brian is described as being caring and kind, and that he always was there for anyone who needed him and always had a smile on his face. Mm -hmm. He was an athlete in high school, and he carried his love of sports and his love of teaching into his adulthood— by coaching Little League and assistant coaching soccer with his dad, who he was also very close with. Yeah. So Brian never got into any trouble. And according to people who knew him very closely and people who had only had small interactions with him, they all said that he did not have a mean bone in his body and that he didn't have an enemy Mm -hmm. in the world. And so the idea of anybody wanting to hurt him was so absurd because he was just a good, sweet, young person. So around the time of this story, Brian had recently bought himself his own pickup truck that he was super proud of. Mm -hmm. So he just sounds like a sweet kid who gets caught in the crosshairs of a very strange incident. Mm -hmm. So like I mentioned earlier, when Thomas was in the heat of his online affair with Jesse, he would brag about it to his coworkers, about Mm -hmm. his young, hot girlfriend that he was planning on leaving his wife for. Yeah. None of his coworkers, like I said, knew he was assuming a false identity. Right. But pretty much everyone who worked closely with him knew that he was up to sh- some shenanigans yeah. behind his wife's back, yeah. including yeah. Brian. Brian actually used to kind of casually join Jesse and Thomas on Pogo, and they'd sometimes play games together. Oh. Jesse remembered that Brian was one of Thomas's coworkers. Mm-hmm. And so she reached out to him to see if she could dig up some more dirt on this man who just wasted almost a whole year of her life. Yeah. When they connected, it started off with Brian filling her in with more info on Thomas. From there, a friendship blossomed that turned into a flirtation that turned into genuine interest in dating one another. Much like the whirlwind of flirtation and virtual sex and love letters between Tommy and Jesse, Brian and Jesse were all in with each other very quickly. Oh boy. Okay. Yes. So there's a trend happening here that though uh we've established this isn't Jesse's fault. No. She is also not good at reading some important signs. <laughs> In this case, it sounds like Brian is who he says he is. So uh, mm-hmm. that's good. But like, oh girl, you gotta maybe take a break from the internet. Here's for a the while. thing. <laughs> Here's the thing though. If it would have started with Jesse and Brian, mm-hmm. they're four years apart. Sure, sure, sure. You know, there's yeah. so much less wrong with Brian and where he is in life. And he has real goals and he's a real person who's not made yeah. up. You know, like I can see after being tricked, having somebody come in and he's like, he's cute mm-hmm. and he's athletic. Well, how does she like, know that he's not also 
I, faking it. I know, but like it's a ring of fifty-year-olds all doing the same thing. You also have to keep it in mind. It's two thousand five. There's like no precedent for this kind of thing. This Fair. is, and okay. even since, I feel like there's no precedent for how crazy this is going to get. So, okay, okay, okay. you're going to roll your eyes really hard. So, this didn't stop Jesse and Thomas from contacting each other, oh. even after it was all out. After only two weeks of not communicating, Jesse reached out to Thomas. After two weeks? Mm-hmm. She confessed to Thomas that she was genuinely interested in Brian for a lot of reasons, but she also felt guilty because she kind of felt like she was using him to get back at Thomas and that she was sad and missed what they had, even if it wasn't real. Oh, my god! Thomas apologized for lying to her and hurting her, and Jesse told him not to let Tommy die. Thomas said that Tommy would always live on in Jesse's heart, and then they parted ways. And I wish more than anything that this was the end of the story, but it's not. <sighs> so after making up with each other, Jesse was still mad and hurt by the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So shortly after they connected and began getting more serious with each other, Brian began bragging about his relationship with Jesse and told everyone about what Thomas had done to Jesse Ooh. at work. Which obviously was like a shock. That's and like so embarrassing. All the coworkers were yeah. appalled. Yeah. So online, Brian and Jesse were doing the Lord's work and calling out Thomas's predatory behavior in chat rooms Oof. and forums for other users to see, calling him a loser and a child predator, eventually resulting in Thomas getting his account suspended on Pogo. Wow. Thomas couldn't take it and decided to lash out. This is super awkward and weird and gross, but Thomas had been obsessed with taking Jesse's virginity. And so when he learned that Brian and Jesse intended to meet in person in the coming weeks, he was furious, believing that Brian wasn't good enough to take Jesse's virginity and blah, blah, blah. It's a lot more vulgar than that. (sighs) Yeah. Okay. Gross. Just, I have so many thoughts on that whole thing anyways, but I'm not going to share them right now. Meanwhile, Jesse was feeling like she wanted to work things out with Thomas. What? Even though he lied to her. Wait, knew. wait, wait. <clears throat> Say that sentence again. Meanwhile, Jesse was feeling like she wanted to work things out with Thomas. That's what I thought you said. And I, I thought said there that. is no way that that's there. I. <sighs> Let me keep going. <laughs> okay. Okay. So even though he lied to her, she missed what they had. So once again, she asked him if they could start over as friends. No. Now, <laughs> one would think. That someone in Thomas's position would have said something along the lines of like, hey, I appreciate that, but I need to work on myself and on my marriage. And you deserve to be with someone who respects you, that you can trust if that's what you want out of life, or anything besides what he chose to do next. He chose to take her up on her offer and start over. He told her, hi, I'm Tom. I'm 47 years old and a former Marine. To which she replied, hi, I'm Jesse. I'm 18 and I just graduated. They wrapped up their conversation with, good night, friend. True to form, Thomas was not willing to let go of his anger towards Brian. He told Jesse that what she did with Brian was the reason why his heart turned ice cold and that he hated Brian so much that for 10 cents, he would eliminate him because he was, quote, the ultimate weapon. He was a Marine. So his messages Mm. became increasingly scary, claiming that he was going to assault Brian and that Brian would pay in blood. Still, the two continued talking and having virtual sex as if Thomas wasn't making actual threats. What? Once again, it wouldn't last long. 
Thomas learned that Jesse was flirting with other guys online. And then, so he started saying like really violent, scary things to Jesse. So trigger warning. Mm -hmm. He's about to wish sexual assault on Jesse and he's really gross about it. Oh, And I'm purposely changing the language a little bit, but I feel like what he says is important to include so that everybody can kind of understand how badly Thomas is spiraling at this point. Okay. Okay. He told Jesse that he hoped that she would get gang raped by a bunch of racial slurs, which he used the word. And he started calling her derogatory names and things like that as well. He told her that if she didn't leave him alone, that he'd come to West Virginia and hurt her or her mom. And he has her address because of the packages. Jesse did the right thing and told her mom, who logged on and told Thomas to stop contacting her daughter. Yes. Thomas agreed as long as Jesse would stop contacting him. They continued with the back and forth. You just do it. Who cares if she contacts you? Thomas, you are an adult man. Here's an idea. Throw away your computer. (laughs) You have a problem. Throw away your computer. Go to therapy. Yeah, basically, like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Now I'm just kind of rambling, but. <laughs> yeah. Aww. So to sum up this next chunk of time, I'm just going to uh, say that they would reconnect and they would continue with the back and forth of having crazy fights and working things out and then fighting again and then working things out again, which was super unhealthy and, and wrong on just about every level, but things would soon come to a very dramatic head. Mm. In a moment where Thomas and Jesse were back on again, Thomas looked up Jesse on MySpace and found her profile. Mm-hmm. He scrolled through it and discovered that Brian was on her page and that it seemed as though they were like an item, which sent Thomas over the edge. He oh. told her to be very afraid. Jesse reached out to Brian to warn him that he might be in danger and that he needed to be careful about Thomas. Brian told her that initially he wasn't totally worried, but that Thomas had tried to run him over in the parking lot at their work, and he wondered if he should tell anyone like his boss or the police about it. But sadly, Brian would never get the chance to tell anyone how badly this whole thing was escalating. On Friday, September 17th, 2006, Brian Barrett clocked out at his job at Dynabraid at 10 p.m. and headed towards his truck. Co-workers and friends believed that he was traveling to go meet up with Jesse, but while he was working, Jesse had called off their plans. Mm. But nobody knew this. Oh. Suddenly, from out of the shadows, someone appeared from behind the truck and shot Brian three times, killing him. What? The rear tire of his truck was also slashed, so even if he had tried to pull away to get help, he couldn't have. Able to. Oh my gosh. Since nobody yeah. knew that his plans had changed, his body wasn't discovered until more than two full days later when coworkers began showing up to Dynabraid and noticed Brian's truck. Mm. When they peeked inside and saw his body, they quickly called police, who pronounced Brian dead at the scene. Wow. In the days after the discovery of Brian's body, Thomas Montgomery was nowhere to be found. And so the immediate concern the investigators had was that he was going to hurt Jesse. Mm -hmm. He'd already escalated to murder. He was clearly unhinged. And this girl was quite likely in danger. Yeah. And so investigators, this is actually kind of hilarious. So they used Jesse's MySpace page to figure out her last name and the town that she lived in. And it worked. Oh, wow. Like they had a younger person on staff do that. Which I think this was one of the first times that a social media page was Mm -hmm. used to locate someone, which is really interesting. So they did figure out her last name and where she lived. Mm -hmm. And so they called police in her hometown of Oakville, West Virginia, and informed them about the situation. 
Quickly, a team was dispatched to check on Jesse and make sure that she was safe. Yeah. Around 6.30 a.m., Sergeant Lee Kirk and another officer with Oakville PD pulled up to the residence of Mary Sheeler, Jesse's mom. Okay. They knocked on the door and an older woman answered. They asked her if she was Jesse, and she informed them that no, she wasn't Jesse. I'm Jesse's mom, Mary, and that Jesse lived in Concord and that they hadn't had any recent contact. When investigators asked if they could get Jesse's contact information, Mary Sheeler told them that she didn't have any way to get a hold of her. What? Police informed her that they needed to find her immediately because she might be in danger. Investigators could tell that this whole thing that they were like explaining to her was upsetting to Mary. And so they continued to ask questions, hoping to figure out how they could find Jesse. Yeah. After several minutes, Mary Sheeler started crying and told them that she needed to tell them something. Something so shocking. Oh, no. That none of them were prepared for it. She confessed to police that she had been using her daughter's name and photos online and that she was pretending to be Jesse. Oh, my gosh. The real Jesse had no idea about any of this. But her own mother had been sending photos of her daughter in a bikini, posing for photo shoots, and even upskirt photos to strangers on the internet while assuming her identity. How? I'll get into that later. Okay. Just like Thomas, almost to the T, she had built a false online persona using her daughter's name and photos. Oh my She sent the gifts, the letters, the sexually charged chats and phone calls. All of it was Mary Sheeler. What? She knew that Thomas was escalating and that he was making violent threats. She knew that this whole thing was out of control and could have gotten her actual real life daughter killed. And her daughter knew nothing about it. Oh my gosh. This man was making threats yeah. Thinking he's making threats to Jesse, knows the town she lives in and what she looks like. Right. She could have gotten her daughter killed. Right. I'm so incredulous at this woman. I cannot even believe it. So let me keep going. <sighs> Mary Sheeler filled out a police report in Oakville. She informed police that Thomas had reached out to her after he had murdered Brian Barrett, thinking that she was Jesse and that he had told her that her boyfriend was easy to take care of and that no 18-year-old was going to best him. The day before the murder, Thomas had called her in a rage and screamed incoherently at her over the phone. Mary had not reported either of the phone calls. So now the hunt was on for Thomas Montgomery. They started with accessing the hundreds upon hundreds of pages of chats between Marine Sniper and Tall Hot Blonde, which painted a pretty vivid and clear picture of how things spiraled the way that they had. (sighs) Along with that, there was a peach pit at the scene of the crime that had Thomas's DNA on it. Oh, boy. Which is, like, I'm glad that he was sloppy, but it's kind of unbelievable that he yeah. would be like, I'm going to kill someone at this location and just toss my peach pit right on out there. Yeah. Like, they would have known it was him anyways, but it, that just feels like, okay, Thomas. So they yeah. also, they Ugh. found a gun clip for a 30 caliber rifle. In Thomas's home, they looked into his gun cabinet and it was determined that his 30 caliber rifle was missing. So Goodness. the gun clip belonged to oh, Thomas. Thomas. Finally, on November 27th, 2006, more than a month after the murder, Thomas Montgomery was arrested and charged with first degree murder. Initially, he tried to deny that it was him. He came up with a weak alibi. And in part of that alibi, he claimed that he was home with his family and that they would vouch for him. 
When police contacted Cindy and their daughters, all of them fully denied that he was home that night, despite receiving several calls from Thomas in, like, in jail, begging them to confirm his alibi. So this is really upsetting. So he told his then 12 and 14-year-old daughters that daddy was going to go away for a long time if they didn't tell police that he was at home on that night. (sighs) Thankfully, because his wife and daughters are good people who Mm -hmm. never deserve to go through any of this mess, they all refused Thomas's requests and informed police that he was not home on the night of the murder. I just Mm. can't believe he did all of this to them on top of what he did to Brian. So, and actually there's a recording of the jailhouse phone call to his daughters on the documentary that I watched for this story. And I literally cried listening to it because this whole thing was so devastating. Mm -hmm. Like this little girl is sobbing on the phone to her dad Mm -hmm. and he's literally still only looking out for himself. Gosh. Like you need to tell him this, otherwise you're not going to see me. And she's like, Daddy, but I don't want you to go. Like, so sad. So confusing. And so confusing. So, yeah. There there has to be some degree of self-awareness to say, I have messed up and deserve what's coming to me. Mm -hmm. I'm just hoping eventually there's, like, that wouldn't necessarily be fully redemptive, but it would at least show some kind of... Pro- progression here mm-hmm. from Thomas. I, I also, I just want to back up a minute. So Mary, mm-hmm. who was having flirtatious conversations with not just Thomas, who proposed to her at one point uh, as a 47 year old man, but also decided to start having conversations with a 22 year old man. Mm-hmm under the guise of an 18 year old that now that makes sense why she called off their plans mm-hmm. because she was never going to meet with him. Mm-hmm. And who knows how many other people she was right. interacting with online legal and illegal, probably. Mm-hmm. Oh, this whole thing just became, it was already a complicated web of lies into like, Oh, by the way, here's an additional complicated web of lies. That is probably 10 times the size. Anyway, please Uh, keep on going because I'm. (laughs) Mary Sheeler's behavior is extremely unbelievable. Yeah. So it was also at this time that Thomas learned that tall, hot blonde was not Jesse, but rather her middle-aged mother who was bored with her life. And so she created an alter ego Mm -hmm. that she could use to engage in an online romance, which feels a little like (sighs) just desserts. It does not make it right, but it's like, how does it feel to know that? Yeah. That would be crazy. Also, it would be crazy to think he deserves that. At least they could have actually met up, and it would have been like, "Oh, wow, okay, we're both surprised Mm -hmm. that this is not like a illegal situation." Uh, It also explains, and I, I this like popped in my mind very at the very beginning. Not this whole thing that she was fake, but I thought it was odd that tall, hot blonde reached out to him Mm -hmm. on the. Uh, children's page. Right. Like, right out of the gate, if I'm Thomas, I I would be assuming, I I guess, once again, I am, it's 2023. And this happened. We have additional internet context. But I would have assumed, like, oh, this could be a police officer. This could Mm. be someone trying to catch somebody. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Not totally. 
yeah, this everybody's catfishing everybody. Well, it, it goes back to that thing that you said about, and then what? Yeah. Like the complete inability for anybody in this story to say, and then what? Besides yeah. the people who were victims. Right. Like Brian sort of taunting Thomas shouldn't have gotten him killed. Right. Like Thomas, maybe don't be a creep if you don't want somebody to tell your coworkers that you're a creep. Right. Maybe don't do that. And right. maybe then nobody will find out about something that never happened. <laughs> like It's yeah. not that hard. Brian didn't deserve that. Cindy and their daughters didn't deserve that. And right. assuming that Jesse was real, if he had connected with literally any other woman on the platform, they wouldn't have deserved that. Right. But anyway, let's keep going. Okay. So after consulting with his attorney, John Malloy, Thomas pled guilty to first-degree murder. He ended up taking a plea to keep the case from going to trial. And so Thomas Montgomery was sentenced to 20 years for the first-degree murder of Brian Barrett. Wow. He did end up appealing uh, because he felt like he was... He, he basically, his whole argument was, if I can plead guilty, then I should be able to then later plead not guilty, which, okay. That does doesn't, not make sense. No, it doesn't. So had he not <sighs> taken the plea deal and had he been convicted, which he definitely would have been, he would have served a sentence of 25 years to life. Mm-hmm. And so all things considered, Thomas's sentencing was almost a slap in the face to the Barrett family. Yeah. Brian's parents, Dan and Deb Barrett, are sad and angry. Yep. They're shocked that nobody told them or even police what was going on. Hmm. Coworkers, Mary Sheeler, anyone who knew about Brian's involvement with Jesse or with Thomas's erratic behavior and threats towards Brian, that things could have been different if anybody had told them. Right. And Brian was like, he was kind of private in that way where he didn't talk about that kind of stuff. And like they wish, obviously they wish he would have told them, but Anyway, yeah. it's just sad. Hmm. They're sad that they never had the chance to talk to Brian about it. Right. His dad carries guilt about showing Brian the ad for the job at Dynabraid that ended up connecting him to Thomas. Oh. And they carry so much heavy sadness about their tremendous loss. Yeah. At the end of the day, Brian was caught in the middle of a storm that was way out of the realm of anything that any normal person can fathom. Yeah. Everyone who knew Brian is still devastated about their loss. People like Brian are irreplaceable, and his life was stolen by a man in complete denial of reality. Brian's mother hopes to see legislation put in place to stop things like this from ever happening to anyone ever again. Wow, yeah. As well as legislation that would protect, like, basically any laws that could prosecute the situation more directly. Yeah. So, as for Mary Sheeler, because she didn't technically commit a crime, she was never prosecuted. Mary's now ex-husband, Tim Sheeler, believes that Mary has absolutely no remorse for what she did and believes that she absolutely had a hand in Brian's murder, even if she wasn't a direct accomplice. Wow. Uh, I feel like there's a peddling of your daughter's photos that... Let me keep going on that. My goodness. I have more information on that. Mary continued her lies after the story was made public and her own family didn't even know about her involvement until a year later when she had to go testify before a grand jury in New York about what had happened. She never took accountability for the fullness of what she had done. And Jesse, real Jesse, was actually the one who told her dad. Oh. After hearing people saying weird things about her mom, Jesse had Googled her mom's name. And that's when she learned that her, her mom had used her name and photos to create a false identity online that resulted in a tragic murder. 
Jessie was devastated. There was her face plastered all over the internet. Her in poses all over the internet. Oh my god! And then realizing on top of that, that like extreme violation of privacy, that her mom was the one doing it. I just can't even imagine. So Tim said in this documentary, he's crying because he's a normal person. Right. He said, how could you do that to a stranger? And how could you do that to your child? Yeah. And I completely am asking the same questions. In an attempt to explain to Jesse why he thinks that Mary did what she did, he told her that he believed that Mary was capable of all kinds of terrible things if she truly believed that she wouldn't get caught. Wow. Which feels very spot on. He very much like Cindy had no idea what was going on. When investigators searched Mary's computer, they found hundreds upon hundreds of photos of Jesse, many of which were obviously taken without Jesse's knowledge or consent. Bikini photos, videos, and photos taken up Jesse's mini skirt when she wasn't paying attention, or Jesse in positions that are they're innocent, like bending over to pick something up off the ground. Mm-hmm. But her mom took the photos in a way that even doing wow. something like that, I drop my purse and I'm picking it up becomes suggestive, which is so violating that oh I can't believe gosh. it's not a crime. I cannot believe that it's not a crime. How how couldn't it be? How couldn't it be? I, I mean, once again, there's the question that was asked. What if she wasn't 18 mm-hmm. when those pictures were taken? Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't know if there's a precedent for that today, but I'm pretty sure there's some... There's been enough of this kind of stuff to mm-hmm. at least I, I'm I'm totally speculating. Um, One I'm, would I'm, hope I'm, I'm mostly speculating because I feel like I've heard something like this before, where it's like, oh yeah, those are pictures of me from 50 years ago when I was still a child. That's definitely illegal, mm-hmm. even if it maybe isn't, but it also should be. Like, uh, mm-hmm. there's, I'll 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 give that it is a gray area but only to the point that uh, you don't know the person, mm-hmm. I feel like. Yeah. This is your I don't daughter. know how this you couldn't be charged with something like stalking or something like that. Yeah. So uh, It's weird. There's a lot of weird. I don't mm-hmm. like that. No, That's me messed either. Up. That and lady should be in prison. I completely agree. Investigators also learned that Mary had been sending these photos of Jesse to handfuls of men, not just Thomas and oh. Brian. Which just makes me so sick and so sad. Since then, Jesse has completely cut off communication with her mother. Mary has never apologized to Jesse for what she'd done to her. A psychologist on the documentary I watched said something that I feel like was really profound in this circumstance that I feel like we could all learn something. He said that if he had the chance to talk to Jesse in person, he would say to her, Jesse, there is a rule of forgiveness. Never forgive those who are not repentant. Until Mary fully admits to what she's done and takes full accountability, then she is not forgivable. Mm. Yeah. I completely agree. I do too. If they're not sorry, you, you are allowed. asking for forgiveness. Right. Well, and you're, you're allowed to set some, like yourself free from mm-hmm. the burden of being wronged. Like you're allowed yeah. to say, I'm choosing to move on. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's why the kind of idea of, I forgive that I forgave this person who hurt me, even though they didn't say sorry, feels like you're lifting yourself from mm-hmm. like lifting the burden off your shoulders by doing that. So I can understand 
like the impulse yeah, to yeah. say, I'm forgiving to set myself free. But it's like, nah, sis, yeah. no, like, no, you don't have to do that. You actually can just say, I'm not letting you affect me. Like, right. I'm not letting what you did right. ruin my life forever, you know? So right. anyway. You don't, you don't have to say, we good. Yeah. You can. You don't say, have to restore any we, relationship. Yeah, we're not good, but I'm, I'm going to move on. Mm-hmm. And if you want to move on too, that's great. We can have that conversation, but I'm not just going to wait for you to Mm -hmm. be ready to move on for me to move on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cindy filed for divorce while Thomas was awaiting trial. From what I understand, his daughters have visited him in prison, and Thomas says that he can still see the hurt in their eyes over what he has done. What he says he's learned from this whole thing is to not hide your problems from your family, but to lean into them and to ask for help if you need it. He advises people not to be lured in by the false sense of freedom that can be found in confiding in strangers on the internet, Mm. especially if you're already in a fragile state of mind, which like, hey, this is the first time I feel like I can agree with something that Thomas Montgomery said or did. I said a few minutes ago that there's got to be a degree of self-awareness that happens eventually to feel like there's a progression. I would have loved to have heard him say, and I am sorry for what I did to Brian. Yes, and oh, Brian didn't yeah. deserve that. I would yeah. love to hear that because yeah. Brian did not deserve that. Right. He deserves to still be here doing great things. He's the one who is the most affected. Mm-hmm. Like, well, and, that's, really, and that's not to downplay uh, everybody uh, else. Everybody else, but I mean, he's the one who's dead. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 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 At the end of the day, though, this really is a story full of victims. Yeah. Thomas and Mary's individual choices and their complete unwillingness to confront that what they were doing was wrong while they were doing it mm-hmm. ruined lives. Yeah. At the, I mean, at the very least, they changed people's lives forever. Mm-hmm. Brian's life was stolen and his parents, siblings, and countless friends will never get to see him or talk to him or hug him ever yeah. again. Cindy and her daughter's lives were forever changed. Tim's life and Jesse's life will never be the same again. And so I guess my annoying grandstand, if I'm going to do it, yeah, we might not even keep this in the episode. It's just like, just ask yourself and then what? And be careful on the internet. Yeah. But that's my grandstand for the yeah. night. It's, it, that is a, a worthwhile grandstand to take, I think, because mm-hmm. it's, it's a meaningful question. It's simple and but profound to mm-hmm. say, if I'm doing something that maybe I shouldn't be, or even that I feel like I, I, I'm allowed to, you should still always ask this question. And then what? Mm-hmm. Take it to as menial of a subject as possible, gaming until four in the morning. Well, and then what? I'll probably be tired oh, tomorrow and it yeah. might be hard to work. Or right. whatever. That's not to shame anybody for no. life choices, but it no. is a good little rule of thumb. It sure is. And then you can take that rule of thumb all the way up to Maybe I should not create a, an alter ego <sighs> on the internet. Well, and even simpler than that is to just be thoughtful when you're on the internet. Like yeah. it's still so easy to just be an anonymous entity on yeah. the internet. Yeah. You can say whatever you want. Right. You can comment whatever you want. You can post whatever you want. You can message mm-hmm. and do whatever you want. None of it, n- none of the anonymity and the false sense of freedom, as Thomas put it, mm-hmm. is actually what it, it, it's like, I'm well, trying to word this real. the right it's way. Not it's real. not real. Yes. You, it's, it can't deliver what it yeah. feels like it can deliver. Especially in these days, like anything is traceable. Mm-hmm. It's not hard to dig up somebody's online presence. Mm-hmm. It just takes one just somewhat knowledgeable hacker 
Yeah. To say, I know everything you've done on the internet in the last 25 years. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. That's, that should, we should all be asking. And then what? Mm-hmm. So. So one last little thing, the psychologist in the documentary put it very simply that the real takeaway from this story is not complicated. Be nice. Don't lie. Yeah. Which I feel like sums it up. So if you're interested in that documentary, it's called Tall Hop Blonde, and I watched it on Prime, if anybody wants to watch it. But yeah, that is what I have for you today. Wow. Oh, well, you're not wrong. Mm. I am very bummed bummed, and discouraged, disappointed. I hope Jesse's doing well. I hope she's and doing Cindy well. Cindy and the I girls. Hope, yes. I hope all those people have been able to grow immensely mm-hmm. through all this and, and that are they're healthier and happy. Yeah. Yep. All those things. Yeah. And they have everything that they yeah. dream of in life because they deserve it. All of them. It's so interesting because when Thomas was feeling slighted at mm-hmm. the hand that was dealt to him, he reacted by essentially personifying death and destruction yeah. to everybody around him. But then somebody like Cindy, somebody like Jesse, somebody like Tim, somebody like the Barretts. Those Mm -hmm. people are amazing. And what they did in the face of a very unfair hand being dealt to them was to move forward and to show mercy and to be kind and to talk with each other. Like there's such a huge chasm between what Thomas Montgomery did and the people that he victimized. And it, it's heartbreaking in that sense that none of them, none of them did anything to deserve that. And it's right. really heartbreaking, but I'm very moved by each of them as people. Yeah, I agree. So. Wow. Well. Oh, wait, one additional. Sorry. Yeah, this yeah. is my last thought. There are a lot of photos online when you type up the story of Jesse. Oh. Um, and I would just encourage you to not seek those out. Mm -hmm. It feels like an extreme invasion of privacy, even to Google it. And there she is. It feels very wrong. It feels very unfair and very wrong. And so we will not be sharing pictures of her or of uh, Thomas and Cindy's daughters. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Even though the family picture is online, we will not be sharing any of their faces. That's good. Online. And so, yeah, I would just discourage anybody from clicking on pictures of her because I don't think that's fair. I I agree. I agree. So, all right. Wow. Well, thank you for listening to the unusual, unsettling, unsavory story today. Unsavory 100,000%. Hands down. Hands down. Yes. If you have an opinion or a thought or a comment or anything. I might have uh, made would... people mad with my forgiveness <laughs> yeah. speech. We'll see. A- anything that you might have in <laughs> response to this episode, please make sure that you leave a comment on any of our social media posts. Um with that being said, you can find us on social media on Instagram and TikTok at this one is a doozy and on Facebook, this one's a doozy podcast. Make sure also that you are subscribed on your favorite listening platform and that you leave a five-star review. Those reviews help other people find this podcast. And also, if you want, you can dig in even a little bit deeper with us by joining us over on Patreon. My love, do you want to explain how and why they should do that? Yeah. So you can go to our Instagram bio or our Facebook about section. We have a link to our Patreon page. Otherwise you can go to patreon.com and search this one's a doozy podcast. And for $5 a month, you can support what we're doing on the show. Uh, everybody who subscribes over on Patreon will get ad free content as well as bonus episodes. Mm-hmm. 
as well as access to polls where you can help us vote on things like episode topics and our monthly giving. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week for another doozy. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.